morning. How's everybody doing? I was, I was a little weak. We're going to get there, though. We're just going to lean into this thing, okay? Thank you very much. Welcome to Family Worship Sunday. This is where all the generations gather together. We give our awesome next-gen serve teams the week off. And so that means you, mom, dad, caregiver, it's your week on. And uh, it gets a little rowdy in here, but we lean into the rowdy. And uh, I try to up my illustration game to keep people engaged and try to do what I do in a quick fashion. So let's get after it today. James chapter 3. So I recently went skeet shooting. Anybody ever been skeet shooting? Shooting it out of the sky, a a, a disc that's thrown out there. Uh, I know that you, uh, if you know me, I grew up in the southern part of the United States. And uh, you might hear a little bit of a southern accent in me. And you might think, this guy probably has some history with guns, but I really don't. I, uh, I've never walked into the woods looking for dinner, okay? I go to a giant food store to look for dinner. I don't go to the woods looking for dinner. Uh, I've never really shot anything uh, out of the sky. Um, and so when my friend asked me to go with him, I gladly did it, but I was a little bit intimidated. But then I started thinking, no, I've played duck hunt before, okay? Anybody ever played duck hunt before? Duck Hunt, listen, for you kids, you got, you got Fortnite going for you. That's a decent game, okay? But Duck Hunt is like peak video game experience. Are we, you guys tracking with me? This is where the, the, you've really peaked out in video gaming. And so I tapped into my duck hunting experience in my skeet shooting time, and I actually got pretty good at it because uh, what, you, what you really need to do is begin to see where that skeet is going and anticipate kind of the future and be out in front of it. You guys tracking with me? Similar in duck hunt. And so I actually got pretty good and out of a few hundred discs, I shot one or two out of the sky. Now, I was studying our passage, James chapter 3, this week, and it made me think of my time skeet shooting. And that's an odd connection. I'll give it to you. But follow with me. God desires for each and every one of us to be able to anticipate what is ahead and to make decisions accordingly. God's word is not just a list of rules of what's right and what's wrong. It also provides us a framework by which you can make better decisions in life. And after uh, and, and making better decisions requires more than you just knowing what's right and what's wrong. Your life should be well positioned according to God's purposes and his plans. And a well positioned uh, uh, station is where you need to be when you're skeet shooting. Also, you should anticipate where life is going. Very important when you're skeet shooting. And you should have the long view in of your life. You should be looking out in front and making decisions accordingly. Today, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, we're talking today about wisdom. About wisdom. Now, that's not a topic of conversation that is prevalent in our culture today. Students, I don't know if you saw any social media posts this week about wisdom. Anybody? Anybody's social media filled up with posts about how you can become a wise teenager? It's not really there. Even though this is a key theme in the Bible, it's incredibly important, but the reality is, is most teenagers don't have a hunger for wisdom. 
I've not experienced one moment in my parenting of teenagers where my teenager walks in the room, sits me down and asks, Dad, what's the wise thing to do in this situation? It just hadn't happened. Maybe in your house, we've talked about what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's righteous and evil, but we've never really had that moment where I didn't prompt them to ask me the question, what's the wise thing to do here? For teenagers, you don't really hunger after wisdom, but even most adults have a deficient view of wisdom. Many adults do not know how to use the wisdom of Scripture, the wisdom of God, to guide them in matters of everyday living. But for King Solomon, who had just begun to reign over Israel, when asked by God, what's one thing you want, what was his reply? Think about that. Kids, if you could ask one thing from God, students, you get one thing. It's going to be a yes, whatever you put on the table. Adults, where are you going with that question? For Solomon, he asked for wisdom. Not power, not wealth, not fame, not a long life. In fact, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 8, verse 11, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You can't desire for anything that is more valuable than what we're talking about today. Solomon knew something that we need to wrestle with today, and that is that wisdom is far more valuable than fortune or fame. And it is essential to get it and to increase your levels of it in order to navigate life as God intends you to do. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of righteousness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. When you get wisdom and you are on the path of wisdom, you can take steps forward and not stumble. You can take off running and and you're not going to stumble. This is where we're going today, ladies and gentlemen. God's desire for each of our lives is to be on a path that will lead to better decisions. In fact, there is a path, there is a way of life, there's a skill that will allow you to make better decisions resulting in fewer regrets. And that path is paved with wisdom. And God's word says, at all costs, whatever you need to do to get this, do it. Because all that you desire cannot compare with her. I remember being a teenager. Students, I'm tracking with you. I understand your life in some ways because I was a teenager before. And if I could just be real in this moment, I remember being a teenager and not necessarily disagreeing with the truth claims of Christianity. I didn't reject Christianity because I didn't think it was true. I rejected Christianity in a lot of ways because I thought it was boring. I thought what it would do would be confine me and constrain me into a life that would restrict some of the fun that I wanted to experience in this life. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, pastor, if you're talking about better decisions and what's the wise thing to do, 
that's really going to restrict me come Friday night. I'm not sure if I want this. And if I could, would you just please hear me out when I tell you this? Wisdom is not a suppressor of life. Wisdom is a suppressor of unnecessary regret. And every time I look back on decisions that I made as a young adult who lacked wisdom, I experienced a lot of regret. And what I want to do is help you not believe the lie that I believed when I was young, which was this fun thing, this thing that God says is probably not the wisest thing to do is going to actually lead to a lot more fun when in fact it led to more emptiness, disappointment, and bitterness. And God wants more for your lives. He wants so much more. And James is here to talk to us about a beautiful faith that is full of wisdom. And he calls us to examine our lives to ensure that we have that kind of faith. Kids, I want you to think about the wisest person that you've ever come across. Think about the wisest individual that you've ever come across in your life. I asked that question this week as I knew I was going to be preaching on wisdom. And we were at the dinner table and I asked that question to the Taylor family. And one of my little guys said, Master Ugwe. <laughs> Kids, you know the one-liner. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. So is that what wisdom is? Just some really old sages dropping one-liners on us? Is that what wisdom is? Is that what we're aiming for? Is that what is more valuable than anything you could possibly desire is to get to an age where everything is just, you just look at yourself and you're like, I'm old, but I can surely drop some one-line zingers. Is that what wisdom is? Well, we need to define wisdom. And James, in the passage that Braden read a few moments ago, starts out with a question. And the question is this. In verse 13 of James chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? If we're going to determine who is wise, we need to know what wisdom is. So first, you need to know that wisdom is more than knowledge and information. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. A wise person will be knowledgeable, but a knowledgeable person is not necessarily wise. Now, I don't want to cut out from up under, uh, cut out the legs from up under our parents who are gathered with us today that put a high priority on studying and passing exams and doing your best. Um, I know that there's an important aspect in which we, uh, we devote to academic excellence. But can I tell you that God's word doesn't put a lot of weight on us knowing some information so that we can pass an exam. God's word doesn't put a lot of weight on you knowing information so that you can flex your intellectual ability around other people. It's just not that weighty of an emphasis in the word of God. God's word doesn't want to put a lot of weight on that because wisdom is more than knowledge and information. You see, knowledge builds the Titanic. It took a lot of knowledge to build that boat, did it not? But wisdom avoids the icebergs. Can somebody say amen? amen. 
knowledge builds a house. You need a lot of knowledge and information as how to construct a house. But wisdom builds a home. Wisdom builds a home. You see, knowledge knows a lot of facts about God. There's a lot of people that can can just spit out a lot of intellectual knowledge about God. But wisdom walks with God. Wisdom walks with God. You see, you can be very knowledgeable and still be a fool. Wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge and understanding in such a way that makes your life work. And one author has said correctly of our culture today, we are drowning in information, but we are starving for wisdom. So wisdom is more than knowledge and information, and wisdom is more than right and wrong. Wisdom helps you know what to do when there's not a clear right or wrong decision. You can be a very moral person and still be unwise. Wisdom helps you know what to do when your teenager begins to question their faith. Wisdom helps you know what to do, students, when your crew of friends are plotting to ditch someone because they don't really like that person. That's wisdom. Wisdom is gonna help you when that moment arises and your friends are putting together a get-together at somebody's house knowing that their parents aren't there. That's gonna take some wisdom in that moment. Wisdom knows, helps you know what to do when you lose your job. Wisdom helps you know what to do when you come into some inheritance. The word wisdom in scripture includes being moral, but it goes beyond that. It's making the right decisions when there's no moral, clear moral law telling you what to do. Now, some of our decisions you're gonna make this week, all you need to know is knowledge. You get sick, the doctor tells you what medicine to take. All you need to know is the knowledge. I need to go get that medicine and take it. But other decisions you make are gonna need, you're gonna need to know God's moral law. You, you don't have to pray about fleeing sexual immorality. There's a clear right or wrong there. So when you're faced with a situation to view inappropriate images or inappropriate videos, you don't need to sit there and pray for wisdom. You flee. God has already spoken in those instances. There's an obvious right and obvious wrong, but there's no Bible verse to tell you exactly who you should date. Parents, I know I'm, I'm stretching it here. You're thinking, oh, yes, there is. I, I can tell you exactly where that Bible verse is. Listen, it's a wisdom decision. There's no clear right or wrong. It tells you Wisdom tells you who you should marry. Wisdom helps you know how to use your smartphone, when to use your smartphone, where to use your smartphone. These are wisdom issues. And making a wrong decision in areas like this can be very costly. There's not an obvious right or wrong on how to set boundaries with difficult people. Can somebody say amen? Has anybody looked for that verse lately? So wisdom is more than knowledge and information, and wisdom is more than right and wrong. Wisdom, in fact, is skillful living according to God's design and purposes. 
That's what wisdom is. Skillful living according to God's design and purposes. And that's why James asked the question in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he answers this way, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's not brain power, it's not theological education, it's not what you know that proves you're wise. It's your life, it's your conduct, it's your decisions. And whether or not those day-to-day decisions are grounded in God's good design and flow out of God's glorious purposes for you and in this world. That is wisdom. And James is saying a beautiful faith, a real genuine faith in Jesus, one that flows out of real relationship with the risen Savior will produce a life that has wisdom and grows in wisdom. And to clear the air a little bit, James then takes the next few verses and he contrasts what is fake to what is real. He says, hey, I need you to know what the fake looks like and I need you to know what the real looks like. Ladies, let me help you. It's like buying or carrying a Louis Vuitton bag. You tracking with me? Some of you are looking down at the the carpet, you're like, please tell me he didn't see it. No, listen, like buying a Louis Vuitton bag. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hating on you, okay? If you got a fake Louis Vuitton, I, I, I can respect that, okay? But what happens is, is you need to know what the real thing looks like and what the fake thing looks like. And there's not really much difference in terms of life value and whether or not you got the real Louis Vuitton or you got the fake. But James is coming in saying, no, 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 listen. What we're about to talk to is re- talk about is very important. And if you have the fake stuff, it's going to be very obvious. And here's what this looks like. And if you have the real thing, this is what this is going to look like. And so James goes in in verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He gives two characteristics of this fake stuff. It's it's a life marked with bitter jealousy. I want what you have. I don't want you to have what I want that you have. He uses the word bitter because it means it's malignant. It's spreading. It's cancerous. It's working its way into everything. And he uses the word selfish ambition. He says, listen, ambition is not necessarily bad, but selfish ambition is. And, and this is a, a quality of life. It's, it's how you make decisions where you're at the center of it all. You are at the center of it all. It's your world. It's your way. You get your results. You're the center, and you, you will drive that however you need. In fact, people oftentimes can become pawns in your hand because you're operating out of this fake stuff. And he says this fake stuff, this fake wisdom, pumps out decisions in your life. In verse 15, he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So if this is the fake stuff, where is it coming from? Well, see, you gotta understand the fake stuff, if you go to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs calls it foolishness foolishness. Today, calling someone a fool is an insult, but in Proverbs, a fool is someone who is out of touch with reality. 
A fool makes life miserable for themselves and for those around them. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't treat people however you want and expect life to turn out well for you. That's wisdom. You can't live selfishly and expect your relationships to be anything other than a mess. That's wisdom. You can't treat your bodies however you want or do whatever you want with your bodies considering whatever the pleasure of the moment calls for and expect for anything other than a life of regret. So ultimately foolishness, this fake stuff, is when you make anything the center of your life besides God. And James says this is not the wisdom that comes from above. So if it's not coming from above, where is it coming from, James? And he tells us in verse 15, he says, it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. James isn't mincing words here, okay? Inspired by the Spirit of God. He's not like, ah, you know, I mean, it kind of came from a, you know, not so good. It's demonic. When that's your operating system, when, that, when bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is kind of the, the operating system by which you make decisions, that is earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. And he's not done because in verse 16, he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's your two qualifying characteristics. There will be disorder in every vile practice. There will be disorder in your life. Your decisions will lead to more and more disorder, disturbance, upheaval, Uh, instability, confusion, your life will be more and more out of control. But he says also there will be every vile practice. It will be evil. That's the decisions that lead you to unwise decisions. That's a heart that leads you to unwise decisions. And these things will result in a life that's less and less manageable. I learned a military term this week in my study, it's FUB, F-U-B-B. Any military guys know where I'm going on this one? We're gonna keep it PG. The FUB means it's fouled up beyond belief. <laughs> That's the military term, FUB. It's, it's, it's fouled up beyond belief. And when you're operating with this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, your life will be a FUB. It will be fouled up beyond belief. And some of you are looking at your life and you have all the right information. You, ha- you could pass a theological test, but you're looking at your life and it's, it's just a mess. Relationally, it's a mess. Circumstantially, it's a mess. Your problem is not the information you have in your head. You lack wisdom from above. You lack wisdom from above. And so James begins to tell us what the real thing looks like. And he gives seven attributes of wisdom from above. In verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, pure, morally blameless. It's undefiled. Your heart is pure in its devotion to God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, blessed are the what? Pure in heart. What happens to those who are pure in heart? According to Matthew 5 verse 8. They see God. They see God. Wisdom from above allows you to see God in your situation. It allows you to see how God is at work in your circumstances. Wisdom sees God. There's a pure motive. You see God and there's a purity of focus on God. He goes on to say in verse 17, then peaceable is first pure, then peaceable. 
You seek peace because you are at peace, because you have wisdom from above. Philippians 4 verse 7 says, the peace of God, talking to Christians, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. So wisdom isn't this anxious ball of energy around your life. Uh, Wisdom isn't this nervousness that just permeates your life because things aren't going exactly how you would want them to be. So parents, let me ask you this question. Is your parenting reflecting that which comes from above? Is it peaceable? Sometimes parenting teenagers, it can feel more like a a famous meme that went viral, I don't know, a couple of years ago. This is what sometimes parenting teens can, you kind of experience life this way and you're like, there's nothing peaceable about this, right? And can I tell you why sometimes it's this way? Can 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 we just keep it real here? Why is this way is, listen to me, Because you're parenting young adults who have a serious deficit in wisdom. And that can be very scary. Can it not? Parents, terrifying. Students, give us some grace, please. It's hard to be a parent of teenagers because we can see where there's a deficit in wisdom. You can know right and wrong and still make decisions and get down the road and have a life of regret. And Proverbs says that many young people lack this wisdom. And so it can be really scary to parent teenagers. And here's where I just want to give a plug to our student ministry parenting workshop. You should have, if you're a parent of a teenager, received emails about this. But this Wednesday night at the Douglas Community Center in Leesburg, Casey Whitehuis, our director of student ministry, and myself are going to help parents think about how you can parent out of wisdom from above. How you can be better listeners and better communicators with your students. There's going to be childcare is going to be provided. Students are going to have their own worship service where they can worship the Lord and sit under God's teaching. And parents, we're going to get real and help you think through how you can parent your teenager with wisdom from above. All parents are welcome. There's even going to be childcare for younger kids. I remember Eliza Huey, our director of counseling said one time, we were in a meeting, and she said, a common mistake of parents is trying to hold on to authority as your child grows in age, rather than stepping into influence. And some of you, you're parenting two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and you need to get some authority. There's some right or wrong, you need to do it right away, all the way with a happy heart, right? But any parents try to do that with a 17-year-old? It doesn't work as well. Because you, you're stuck in this authoritative role and God's word says wisdom means that you need to step into influence and sometime allow your students to make decisions that might not be the wisest decision. Everything's not black and white. Everything's not right or wrong. And our students need to grow in wisdom and part of parenting is helping them to grow in that wisdom. So first pure, then peaceable. He also says that wisdom from above is gentle. It's willing to yield. You don't always have to be right. 
Listen, you know you're operating in God's wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, when you can be wrong sometimes. <laughs> Number four is open to reason. You're persuadable. You're a good listener. You're open to reason. You're, you're also, number five, full of mercy and good fruits. This is more than just being nice. Wisdom from above is more than being nice. It's giving practical help to those who are in need. Wisdom is compassion in action, is what James is saying. And he goes on, he says, wisdom six is impartial. Your treatment is giving courtesy and respect to everyone because they're made in the image of God. Everyone you treat, you treat with courtesy and respect. Every waitress you encounter, every car you encounter on, on, on rush hour in Route 7, wisdom from above requires that you treat them with courtesy, with courtesy and respect because they're made in the image of God. And finally, James says it's sincere. It's living without hypocrisy. What you see is what you get when you have wisdom from above. There's no mass, there's no pretense. So James gives us these seven characteristics of wisdom from, from above, and James then gives a summary statement, which many believe is like a popular uh, proverb of the day. In verse 18, he says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So James wants to know, does your life look like this? Do those seven attributes, do, do, are you, do you have those attributes? Are you growing in each of those seven attributes? Do you have wisdom? Are you a wise man, a wise woman, a wise student? He wants us to see a faith that is beautiful. And a faith that is beautiful, you can't disconnect what you say you believe with how you behave. You can't do it. And James is here to call us out and say, listen, a faith that is beautiful is a faith that has wisdom from above. So if you want to see who is the wisest in the room, we don't need to have a philosophical debate and we don't need to have a theological test. He says, look at their life. Look at their life. In fact, James is giving us a test. And you don't pass or fail this test based upon the information you have. You pass or fail this test based upon the wisdom that you live out in your life. So students, who in here really loves it when your teacher gives you a pop quiz? Anybody? You weren't prepared. We had one here. Okay, there's zero in my household that enjoy a pop quiz. In fact, when their teacher, let's say their English teacher in high school, gives them a pop quiz, I hear about it at night, you know? But James has given us a pop quiz. And so I thought, let's give a pop quiz. So everybody get your, your phone out. If you are an adult, you need to get your phone out. Students, you don't have to take this pop quiz, okay? Kids, you don't have to pay, take the pop quiz. You just sit back and you watch. And you need to go, if you're an adult, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're a young adult or an older adult, whether you're married or single, every adult is gonna take this pop quiz that James has given us. And again, you're not gonna pass or fail based upon whether or not you have the right information. It's gonna be based upon your life, your conduct. And here's how you do this. You can go to that QR code or you can go to minty.com and you can enter the code there on the screen. 
I'm going to give you just another minute. Minty.com. James is giving a pop quiz, not Pastor Britton. This is James. I'm just letting the text do the work here, okay? Let's go for it. First question on this pop quiz. It's not testing your knowledge. It's testing your wisdom. Do you pray about and humbly submit your decisions to God? Now, before you answer the question, it's not asking, do you humbly submit the decision of whether or not to go to church on Sunday? (laughs) James is asking, what about Monday afternoon? What about when there's conflict in the marketplace? What about when there's a disagreement in your home? Are you praying about and humbly submitting your decisions to God? And your option is, I rarely do this. I occasionally do this. I oftentimes do this, thinking about the day-to-day decisions of your life, or I always do this. Now, we have five who are very bold in saying they always do this, okay? Do you pray about and humbly submit your decisions to God. Let's go question number two. Do you rely on God's word for guidance when making your decisions? Again, more than the right or wrong decisions, the day-to-day decisions, how you invest your time, how you invest your money, how you relate to difficult people, Are you allowing God's word to give you guidance in making those decisions, those wisdom decisions? So now we have double the number of people who are really bold (laughs) in saying they always do this, okay? There's gonna be counseling sessions afterwards for those who are not truthful. (laughs) Let's go to number three. In your decisions, are you able to make connections with how God's world works and how your decisions relate? Do you see the connection there? Do you you see the connection of your Monday afternoon decision in the overall purpose of God for this world? Do, Do you connect how you parent your small child? Do you connect how you parent your adult child that's out of the house? Are are you connecting those decisions and how God's world works and how your decisions relate to the purposes of God? I'm happy to say that we didn't increase in the number of people who are inaccurate in their quiz taking. Let's go to the next one. Are your decisions reflective of what we've just looked at? James chapter three, verse 17 and 18. Are your, are your decisions pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere? Is that, is that, is that reflect what your decisions look like? Again, rarely, occasionally, often, or always. Finally had a few people wising up. We only have two here, okay? So there's your pop quiz from James. And can I tell you something? In closing, if we were all to be rigorously honest, if we were just to take a a run-through of all the decisions we made last week, if we were just to put a GoPro on your chest 
for the next seven days, that's pretty terrifying, isn't it? Think about all the thousands of decisions you're going to make this week. The reality is none of us are entirely wise. So how do we get wisdom? How do we get the stuff that comes down from heaven? And this is where I want to close today. I want to give you four steps from God's word. I want to encourage each of us today. If you want wisdom from above, and you can write this down, first off, be reverent. Be reverent. Reverence is a healthy form of fear. And Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you can't have a small view of God and be a wise person. Fear has this massive, glorious view of God. His greatness and his goodness are off the charts. And, 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 and we're driven down the pathway of life, driven down the pathway of our decisions based upon that big view of God. There's a book that I, I hand out oftentimes like candy. I just give it out left and right. And I really love the title. I love the content of the book. The book is entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. Anybody read that book? When People Are Big and God is Small. Wisdom would tell you that God needs to be big in your life. The exact opposite. That God needs to be big. You need to have this glorious view of God and you need to humble yourself and submit yourself under that great view of who God is and all that he has done. So the question is, do you have a big view of God in your decisions? Are you on your knees in humble submission to his greatness and his goodness? Is that the, the, the quality of your life? Corey Ten Boom a Holocaust survivor and a devout Christian emphasized the role of trust in divine wisdom. And here's what she said. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an known God. Is that not a good word? Don't be afraid. There's a lot of unknowns out there. But wisdom begins to trust a known God. God is big. Second step, be reverent. And secondly, be repentant. Now, that's a churchy word. For some of you who are newer into these spaces, you might not know where I'm going on this. It's an important word. And part of the meaning of repentance is that you see sin as bad, that you see your own deficiencies, you see your own tendencies to go against God. But the other side of repentance is turning to someone. Do you know who that someone is? Jesus. So be repentant means that you're turning to Jesus. And guess what? When you turn to Jesus, Jesus is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So listen to me. When you turn back to Jesus in your life, when you're tempted to go away and you turn back to Jesus, you're turning back to wisdom. When, when, when you go wayward in your faith journey and you turn back to Jesus, you're coming back to wisdom. Listen to this quote from Paul Tripp. Author Paul Tripp, he says, to sinners, and that includes all of us, wisdom is not natural. It's hard to gain wisdom by research or experience because they are filtered and interpreted by our own foolish hearts. 
Here's where the Bible greets us with a radical counterintuitive message. You can't buy wisdom. You can't get it by hard work or lots of experience. No, wisdom, listen up. Wisdom is the result of rescue and relationship. That's, the, that's, that's where wisdom comes out. It's the result of rescue and relationship. To be wise, you first need to be rescued by, from you. You need to be given a new heart, one that's needy and humble and seeking and ready to get from above what you can't get from the earth. And you will need to be brought into right relationship with the one who is wisdom. He goes on, he says this, think of this. Grace has connected you to the one who is wisdom. Grace has caused wisdom to live inside of you. That means that wisdom is always with you and is always available. Be repentant. Constantly turn back to Jesus. Fourthly, be, uh, thirdly, be reading the written word. So be reverent, be repentant, and be reading the written word. How much of your life is invested in reading and meditating and knowing and studying God's word? Jesus himself said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like what? A wise man who built his house on the rock. Sit in the word of God, study it. Get in groups with other people and pray through it, study it, ask questions about it. You need God's word, and in it you will become wise. And finally, fourthly, be requesting more wisdom. We saw this earlier in the book of James. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack wisdom right now, if you didn't have the always answer in every one of those questions, then you can just ask God for more wisdom. And he says, let him ask God who gives generously to all who are without reproach and it will be given to him. So God's desire for each of our life, each of our lives is to be on a path that leads to better decisions, to be on that path, to have the way of life, to possess a skill that will allow us to make better decisions. And that path, the way of life, that skill is wisdom. And God's word says to every one of us, whatever it takes, get it, get it. Let's pray together. As we come to a time of response to the preaching of God's word, we wanna give every single one of you, every boy and girl, every student, every adult, the opportunity to respond to God's word today. And I'm gonna ask the worship team to come on back up here and they're gonna get ready to lead us in a time of response in, in a worship song. But first, I want to put two questions on the screen, and I want you to be able to take just a few moments with these questions. Do you know and walk daily with Jesus? He is the one who is wisdom. Every day of your life, a day lived in relationship, in abiding relationship with Jesus, or do you even know him? For some of you, the response today is to turn from your sin and yourself. You're looking at your life and there's a, a boatload of regret and it's unmanageable. 
because you've been operating out of a system that is unspiritual and it's earthly and demonic. And God's calling you today to repent, to turn from your sin and yourself and to turn to Jesus. Some of you have made that decision. You're, you, you, you have a new heart, but this is, a, this is something that's kind of been put on the back burner for some time. And you need to return to Jesus. Do you know and walk with, daily with Jesus? the one who is wisdom. And then the second question is this, what practical steps can you take to cultivate God's wisdom in your life? Maybe you take just a few moments and and journal or pray and ask God, help me cultivate wisdom in my own life. I'll give you just a few moments to do that.